Welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about soil health. So I don't care what crop you raise, or even if you don't raise crops, you just have uh, have some, well, I'll call them, I'll still call it crop, I guess, but pasture ground, I still consider grass a crop. But anyway, the point is, whatever your soil is, you want to have that as healthy as possible. So you can earn as much money as possible. And also then, so it's the best for the environment too. Not only does a healthy soil help your crop, but the reason why it can help the environment so well is, well, I I can go into a whole bunch of things and I suppose we will throughout the show today. I, I think first of, I was just, I just had a discussion with the farmer talking about carbon credits and and he just made the comment, well, look, I can't do cover crops because I harvest when the, there's frost in the ground. So that's not going to work. But anyway, my, my point here is with crops, they breathe, they pull in carbon dioxide. And there's all this talk about, oh, global warming and we have too much carbon dioxide in the air. Well, you know what solves that? more plants. And you know how you get more plants, better plants, plants that pull in more carbon dioxide? When the soil's healthier. Because whatever is happening above ground, below ground is really where that all starts. So if you don't have a healthy soil and you don't have a good root system, then I can promise you up above is not going to be any good either. All right, if you've got any questions for us throughout the show today or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's happening on your farm right now, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Our phone lines will be open throughout the show today. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com. And right now, we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! Our first question comes from Brian down in Texas, who sent in a soil sample. He said, guys, I want you to pay attention to samples two and three on my soil test. These are on a field farmed in wheat uh, in Texas. Uh, Last 20 years, we planted wheat, and then we've grazed yearling cattle from November to July. I'm wanting to farm wheat for a crop and possibly incorporate a cover crop for hay production, such as uh, ace cowpeas. With what I know, it appears I've got a lot of nutrient work to do here. It's extremely hard ground from the grazing, and one thing that I'm planning to do is some deep tillage. So just curious, what would you do from a nutrient standpoint to turn this around? Okay, well, part of the reason why it's hard is because there is so little calcium out there. The soil pH in the one spot's 4.5 and the other's 4.8. Now, the good news here is your cation exchange capacity is only in the range of 7 to 9. In other words, it's fairly light soil, and it's not going to take a lot of lime application to fix this problem. When you get the lime out there, you're going to find, oh, all of a sudden my soil is a lot softer. I'll also tell you that your magnesium numbers right now are in the 7 to 10 range, so the type of lime that you should be looking for is probably dolomitic lime. I would not be looking for a calcitic lime. We would like to boost the calcium, yes, but we want to also boost the magnesium some. When you have light soil like that, you're looking for a little higher level of magnesium, probably closer to 20%, not the 7 to 10% where you're at right now. So that's the first thing. You lime with some dolomitic lime, that's really going to help your situation. When you look at the immobile nutrients in the soil, I always start with phosphorus, and in one spot, 
you're in really good shape. You got 84 on a P1 and 80 or 122 on a P2. That's that's almost perfect. That's about what we're looking for on our farm. So I just say in the other spot, you want to get those phosphorus levels up into that same kind of range. Now, here's the other thing. When we talk potassium, we on the show will always say, oh, we want your base saturation level at least 4%. And that that's true. I don't care what soil we're talking about. But because your soil is so light, 4% base saturation K is only giving you a little over 100 parts per million of potassium. And that's not great. So you, you would like to get that level up a little bit higher than that. So I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to say here, at least in one area, yep, you can save your money on phosphorus, don't need any more at this point, but, but take those dollars and spend them on potassium. You definitely need K in both of those fields. Okay, and then, then when I go to some of the other nutrients, sulfur and boron are leachable nutrients in light soil. You're going to have to add them at least once or more per growing season. That's just the way it is with those leachables. And then for the other micronutrients, they look pretty low as well. At least copper does, um, zinc does too. So usually we talk about ratios between phosphorus and zinc and phosphorus and copper and especially in your your one area where you've got good phosphorus levels having zinc and copper that low that's problematic so get your zinc and copper up the good news is zinc copper and phosphorus since they don't leach in soil you can put them out there and they're going to be there for many years to come so get those levels up and you'll be in good shape all right i had this question come in from james who said uh i i grew up on a farm and I, I'm not there now, but I love watching your show. I do have one question, though. I've got pine trees on my acreage, and it seems like every year more are turning brown or dying, but the tops are staying green. Just wondering what can be done to stop them and what the cause might be. You know what? There are quite a few causes of, of brown needles or dying needles and evergreens, whether it's insects or mites. Uh, there's a lot of root rots that have been very common and other diseases here the last few years. And, of course, drought can be a problem, too. Too. The best thing to do, James, is I would contact an arborist and have them take a look to try and determine exactly what's going on out there. Because if you don't do something about it, it's not going to get better on its own. Generally, it, it usually gets worse. And getting evergreen trees uh, growing or pine trees growing, it, it takes some time to get them up and get them big. So don't want to mess around with that. I'd get an arborist out there as soon as, as possible. Any other comments you'd have on that, Brian? Nope, that's exactly what I would do because there's so many things that could be causing that problem and it's really hard to speculate. Yeah, thanks for the question, James. And uh, we'll get back to more of the Ag PhD mailbag questions after a little bit here. We are going to be talking about soil health on our show and taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. If one of your spring chores is getting the side dress bar back in shape, 360 Yield Center has a better idea. Hi, I'm Greg Souter, 360 Yield Center. Rather than throw more money into bearings and colders, replace him with 360 wide drops for your side dress bar. You'll never replace bearings again. You'll get faster, more efficient nitrogen response. In our tests, that gives a six bushel boost. Less maintenance, more corn from 360 wide drops. Take a second and listen. You 
hear that? That's the sound of your roots growing where they've never gone before. There are additional nutrients and water in your soil, hidden in tough-to-reach spaces. With MycoApply Endoprime, hyphae attach to the root hairs to reach small areas inaccessible to big roots, even some that are tied up in the soil. Applied in furrow at planting, MycoApply Endoprime uses four, four unique species of mycorrhizal fungi to go where roots can't. Unlock the potential of your corn crop with MycoApply Endoprime, and by nurturing your soil today, you're helping to ensure future harvest will be just as bountiful. For more information, talk to your local retailer or visit valent.com slash endoprime. Always read and follow label instructions. Fight resistant weeds. Experts agree using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough IVC is a selective contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough IVC has a synergistic effect with HPBD inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough IVC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough IVC or visit BeltramUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Today's topic on Ag PhD Radio is soil health, and we're looking for your input as well. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD if you'd like to talk about what soil health means to you and your farm or what you're doing to improve that. You can also send us emails, radio at agphd.com. Let's head to the phone lines first, get Kelly Garrett on with us down in Iowa to talk a little soil health. Kelly, how are you doing today? Good. How are you, Darren? Good. Sounds like you've had a rough spring just personally with all the stuff I've noticed online that you've been posting. How are you feeling? You doing okay? <laughs> my, my arm's getting better. I'm supposed to take it easy. Amber's constantly telling me to take it easy with my right arm. So I uh, I try to, but you you know how I am. But I'm doing the best I can, Darren. <laughs> well, I was just thinking if that happened to Brian, I don't know if anything's slowing him down either. He's just going to keep plugging away, <laughs> especially at planting season because then everything's going crazy. So uh, how's planting going down there? We planted 300 acres of beans so far. We planted about 60 acres March 21st because we wanted to see what would happen, use some stress mitigation products. Then we were able to put in about another 150 April 12th, and then I think about a week ago, uh, a week ago we planted about another 100. It just We haven't gotten a lot of moisture, just enough moisture and with the cold to keep us out of the field. And uh, as soon as I get done talking to you, we're going to go start planting beans again, and maybe a corn planter will roll out of the shop this afternoon. Oh, that would be wonderful. You know, we've had so much wind. I'm amazed anything was able to stay in the shed that it didn't just all blow away here. This has been been quite the spring, and it's really brought out the differences in how people have been managing their soils. And I just think about the hilly ground that you've got around you and how uh, the Luss Hills were formed in the first place. And, man, uh, we we need to keep that soil in place. Yes, sir. I mean, no-till and cover crops, keeping the soil in place. We don't have a lot of the blowing like they're doing some other parts of the state. Uh, Lee has actually sent some pictures from up there with the dirt blowing around. There are times, though, when it's just been hazy, and I think it's just dust in the air, Darren. I mean, it's you can see really how the less hills were formed. I hadn't thought of that, but you are correct. So when we look at soil health, I mean, obviously we got to keep the soil in place. That's number one. But you mentioned some of the, the management practices that you're doing. Do you measure soil health on your farm, or is, is there some kind of number that you're looking for, or are you just looking at productivity? 
I would say if there's I would say there's more art than science because I almost look at the soil as the final frontier. There's so much we don't know. But so that's when I say more art than science, that's because of that. To me, you know, no till, letting that residue decay naturally over time cover crops, always having something going as much as possible in our northern climate, with the microbial system going, performing photosynthesis, turning those nutrients over so they don't leach away in the moisture, having that residue from the cover crop there. And then, but the best measurement, if we want to be scientific about it, to me, is balancing the soil from a base saturation and a pH perspective. That is the number one priority for me, all things soil, to get started is balancing the pH and balancing the base saturation. You know, the pH sure makes sense when you think of these tiny little microbes and, and all the living things that are in the soil and you've got a pH that's way too acid or uh, the opposite end of things, a really high pH, it's got to be tough on them. Do you have a target that you're shooting for on pH when you're mainly corn, soybeans, I guess, or, or do you have any other crop that you're trying to do something different for? I would, you know, with my high pH there, you know, we really don't move the pH a lot, but we apply a lot of sulfur. You know, like I use my plant food byproduct from the liquid feed industry. If a producer doesn't have access to that, I, my next best thing would be ammonium sulfate. That's a great product. From a low pH perspective, obviously we're going to apply lime. A lot of people will try to use, shoot for a target of 6.5. We shoot for more of a target of 6.0 in those, uh, in those low areas. Our data our data on my farm shows that we don't have a yield response until we get below a 5.4. So the difference between a 6.0 and a 6.5, that's a lot of lime and a lot of money. So I don't try to correct that high. I'll, I'll correct back to a 6.0. And I don't think there's anything wrong with a 6.5. I just don't know that I need the investment to get that high because it, it, there's no yield response. Very interesting. I know for, for our farm too, we, we just definitely don't want to over lime. And you're right. Part of it's the expense, but but part of it is we've seen we've seen things go the other way sometimes, especially with nutrient availability yeah. and, and all things we're talking about here. Uh, visiting with Kelly Garrett down in the state of Iowa. Kelly, good luck to you. I hope your recovery goes well and hope corn planting begins soon. Yeah, you know, it was a simple bicep surgery, Darren, and now four surgeries later, here we are. I'm an overachiever. <laughs> yeah, that's how it always starts. Yep, this will be a simple procedure and no complications. <laughs> and Oh, my goodness. Well, thank goodness, I though, told, for modern medical care. Otherwise, what do you right. do? I told him if we have to do it again, I want a bionic arm with a phone charger, a soil test probe, a fast <laughs> flashlight, and a can opener. For bottled beer. I want to open the bottled beer. There you go. <laughs> well, you got to have goals. Got to have goals, Kelly. Well, thank That's you right. so much. That's right. <laughs> we really appreciate having you on, and good luck to you. Thanks, Darren. Have a good day. You bet. Bye. You too. Uh, well, let's head right back to the state of Iowa. we got Mike Witt with us right now with Iowa State University. All right, Mike, I don't know if it takes a bionic arm to have great soil health out there, but certainly a lot of farm, farm interest in improving soil health, so I'm sure you're getting that question quite often. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And yeah, we are getting that question a lot. Um, I haven't figured out the bionic arm situation yet. But, uh, <laughs> well, neither has Kelly. Kelly just, keep, Kelly just keeps dreaming for it, I think. There we go. There we go. So, so where do farmers start? Now, in Iowa, a lot of farmers are, are corn and soybeans. That's by far the biggest crops in the state. And, and guys are farming pretty hard. I mean, they're raising full-season maturities. A lot of times they're getting really close to, to frost and freezing temperatures and all those things when we think about cover crops. Uh, I guess what's your answer in the state of Iowa? Well, for me, 
a lot of times, like you said, a lot of people are really trying to push that envelope. They're trying to push the yield situation either by planting things early or adjusting some of their RMs and things along those lines. But for me, it is a lot of times about the health of your soil and what you're growing your crop in. You can plant whenever you want, but if you're not planting it into a situation that's going to maximize its potential to grow and its potential to yield, you're, you're kind of starting with one hand tied behind your back already in a lot of those situations. So you can make some adjustments with those timings, but you have to get what your soils and nutrients and those type of things right in order to allow the maximization of those other things. Well, I think precision ag's been great to try to target the unproductive areas in our fields. So we get this question a lot, Mike. Do high yields necessarily mean I must have decent soil health out there because my yields keep going up? Well, I would say that there's increasing in yield is a, a multi-pronged approach and a multi-pronged factor in there. Obviously, there is not only soil health, but there is different things that you can do as far as what materials you purchase. And what I mean by that is your genetics. You can get genetics that will be exacting anymore towards the environment that you're looking for and those type of things. So you can maximize that way. You can also maximize genetics that work well with how you're planting. You know, you said um, we have a lot with seed spacing now. We have a lot with populations and other things like that. Some of the mechanical aspects of that growth are things that you can do. But again, that soil health factor is a key that goes in there in maximizing that. So in your less productive areas, I think there has been a larger push of individuals to work on not, shall we say, applying one rate across a whole field, but putting the correct things where you need it in the areas you need it really help bring up that yield. Because at the end of the day, a lot of people look at average across a whole field and those bad areas can really bring it down. Whereas if we can just bring those up some, that's going to help quite a bit. Absolutely. And then last question for you, you only got about 30 seconds left, but does Iowa State have a good test or a go-to test for measuring soil health? Well, kind of like your other guest said, there's not really a good test for that. But what I would say is I would agree with him. Having a balanced pH really helps balance your system to give you the correct nutrient availability and the correct nutrient usage across your entire field. That's a good key starting spot to go, whether it's six or seven, somewhere in that range is where you should be at. You bet. Set the table for all those living things in the soil. That's I, I like that recommendation, too. We're talking with Mike Witt here with Iowa State. Mike, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on today. Yep. Thank you. Anytime. Talking soil health on today's Ag PhD radio show and taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We got a number of those. We got into a couple of them here earlier, and man, there's some good questions that came in today. So we'll dive back into the mailbag in just a little bit. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. What can we do for you? Yeah, I'm looking for some nitrogen. All right, we're running low and it's awful pricey, but uh, let me check. Hold. The answer to low supply and high prices for nitrogen is Invita, a microbe with systemic nitrogen fixation. Invita works throughout the foliage and roots, providing a right place, right time source of nitrogen to maximize yield in corn, wheat, and soybeans. Yeah, we're all out, but... You know what? I'll take some of that Invita. <laughs> That's what I was going to recommend. 
Book your Invita while supplies last. More and more farmers are discovering the power of improved emergence with the Germinator Closing System from Farm Shop MFG. Greg from Iowa says, For the 48 years I've farmed, I've usually been disappointed with the job my closing systems have done. This year, I was very impressed with Germinator's performance in a variety of soil conditions. For more Germinator success stories and to order a set for your planter this spring, visit farmshopmfg.com. Come to the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event this summer. Here at Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support and encourage folks entering the ag industry. That's why we're devoting a full day, Saturday, June 25th, to the free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event. Though this day is geared towards high school and college students as well as young farmers, anyone with a desire to learn more about agronomy is more than welcome. Our hands-on sessions in the field will include a comprehensive guide to scouting, ways to improve soil and crop health, the role of natural microbes in farming, and how to best collect and manage on-farm data. Plus, we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships to eligible attendees. So whether you're a college student or just want some good agronomy information, this is one event you won't want to miss. It's the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships Day, Saturday, June 25th on the Hefty Farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Learn more and register at agphd.com. There are a lot of choices for closing systems in the market. 360 Wave has been topping them all on side-by-sides. More plants and ears, more bushels. They're in stock and ready to ship from 360. Most closing systems attempt to close from the top down. Wave closes from the bottom up, rolling moist soil over the seed, plus puts starter fertilizer in the sweet spot. There is still time to upgrade your closing system with 360 Wave. Learn more at 360yieldcenter.com. Whether or not, relentless control is what you get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Protect your season from tough broadleaf weeds and grasses with dual modes of action and overlapping residuals that also minimize resistance. With an easy-to-tank mix formulation and wide application window, Anthem Max Herbicide is ready when you are. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Healthy soil should be the goal for all of us. I'm Darren Hefty on Ag PhD Radio. We're talking soil health. And when we think about that, it means a little bit different to uh, just about everybody I talk to. I say, what does soil health mean to you? And some say, well, it's about microbes. And others say, oh, it's about earthworms. And others say, you know what? It's just about a healthy crop. Uh, so I want to talk about soil health today. Our phone lines will be open, 844-44-AG-PHD, if you'd like to uh, get your comments in as well. We'll head out to Colorado, though. we got Ron Meyer with Colorado State University now. Ron, how you doing? Hey, doing good. Good afternoon. All right, so I know we've been getting some winds out here. I'm assuming they're coming through Colorado, too. And have you noticed some soil blowing around out there? I've sure seen a lot of pictures online. Oh, yes. We have had some terrible soil erosion out here. And so we have wheat fields that have had to be chiseled to stop the soil erosion. Of course, you stop it temporarily, but you also lose the wheat crop when you do that. Yeah, terrible, terrible. Okay, so talk to me about soil health then. I think I think it's good timing for this topic, just as as we're seeing these winds come through, seeing different management practices and, and uh, certainly different results out in the field. Is soil health a big part of this? 
It is, yeah, and you're right about it. Meaning different, you know, it has different meanings depending on where you at. You're at. So, out here in Colorado, we're you know we're in the west, and so our av- average yearly precipitation is anywhere from 12 inches to 18 inches per year, which is not a whole lot. And so for us, soil health means we just have to till less. And so we're seeing a lot less tillage than we used to a number of years ago. And so that's uh, that's what it's about for us, keeping that soil in place and keeping the ground covered with plant residue. And so we tend to leave our wheat stubble standing over the winter. Uh, Lots of guys used to uh, work that wheat stubble after harvest. Of course, we're harvesting in July with our winter wheat, and so that meant... Um, quite a bit of time that that soil was left exposed. We're not doing that anymore. That's, uh, for the most part, we're leaving those soil residues on top. And, you know, there's a lot of advantages with that. Number one, the soil doesn't blow, but the other big advantage our producers see from that is um, moisture capture. And so that means money in the bank to a dryland farmer. And then we carry that over in our corn crops, too. So we're leaving corn stalks stand over the winter as well. And that just catches snows uh, when we get them in the wintertime. Yeah, I like leaving those stalks just a little bit taller. We've had nothing but trouble when we left the stalks be super tall. But it seems like our magic number has been around 18 inches. If we leave about 18 inches of stalk, it catches all the leaves. It, it, it just, I don't know, a lot of good things with that. I, I like that, too. Um, okay, so as as we're looking at this, healthy soils and we have good microbial activity in the soil we see faster residue breakdown is that noticeable as well for you um not so much for us you know residue breakdown is a function of heat we get plenty of heat and moisture and so during the summertime uh you know we 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 get some nice rains and we can capture that but we tend to dry out in that top two inches pretty fast and so our residue tends to stick around quite a bit uh, longer than in other areas of the country. And that's not necessarily so bad because while that residue is sticking around, it's, it's covering. Uh, but it does tend to, to degrade a little bit slower than, uh, you know, as you go east of us where the moisture is uh, better, uh, the, the degradation rates are faster. When we think about soil health, how about crop rotation? Do you notice big differences uh, in your state? I know you get a number of different crops that are being raised, and you've got irrigated ground, dry land ground. Do you find your gains can be faster, obviously, if you've got some moisture uh, and different crop rotations that are beneficial? Definitely, yeah. So uh, years ago, our dry land was wheat and summer fallow, and so that has all changed now. We're doing wheat which is winter wheat, planting that in September. We harvest in July, and then that's those uh, stalks then stand over the winter. And then we come back into that wheat stubble with a spring-seeded crop, and corn is the most popular. We also plant sunflowers and millet. But with that rotation, we not only can increase net farm income, but uh, it's a better system for the soil, too, because we're actually adding a little bit more organic matter versus a wheat fallow system. So our our organic matter levels have increased by about a tenth of a percent per year on average. Um, And that's a small increase, but it's going in the right direction. So in about 10 years, we add about 1% organic matter to our soils using that two crop and three year system and reducing the tillage. 
Yeah, that's awesome. And and the summer fallow is really one as we go west, there's still guys that are saying, man, I've got to do that summer fallow to catch moisture. You had mentioned just leaving residue out there and, and covering up the ground. You're catching more moisture that way. Uh, what about with, with cover crops? What about this three crop and two year system? Uh, obviously you can do it, but what, what kind of yields are you seeing then with three crops? Are you seeing significant increases versus the, the summer fallow system? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the two crop in three year system. So we have an abandoned fallow on our dry land and can't, uh, but we can take advantage of the rains when they come. So the spring crop planted into last year's wheat stubble takes advantage of those spring rains we get. And um, and then hopefully you catch a couple in the summer and, and you have a pretty decent corn crop as a result. Now, a decent corn crop in Colorado you know, with a 17-inch moisture base is uh, about 100 bushel per acre. So uh, we feel good when we get that, uh, but it's moisture-related. But, yeah, uh, that's, that whole system has been good for our soils, due mostly to the reduced tillage, but also it's a little bit more intensive cropping as well. Yeah, we're so thankful for all the work being done to to take agriculture forward. We're talking with Ron Meyer here at Colorado State University. And it's hard, Ron. It's hard for us as farmers to change our practices, but it sure is encouraging hearing, hey, there's practices that are changing. We're seeing the soils getting better, and that leads to more profit down the road for all of us. So thanks for the work that you're doing, Ron, and thanks for being on today. Yeah, thank you. Good to talk to you. You bet. Talking soil health on today's Ag PhD program, our phone lines are open as well at 844-44-AG-PHD. When I think about soil health, number one for me is always drainage because you have to have oxygen and just air in general in that soil if you want your beneficial soil microbes to live, at least the aerobic ones. So drainage for me is number one. If you don't have good drainage, I can promise you, you will not have a healthy soil. Number two, calcium level. And you might say, what, this is number two for you? Yep, that's my number two thing. You fix the drainage, then you fix your calcium level. 65% to 80% is kind of what we're looking for usually. Now, it doesn't have to be exactly that, and you can still have a healthy soil. But I'm just saying, especially when you have lower levels of calcium in that soil, that tells me one of two things. Either your soil pH is low and or you just don't have very good porosity in that soil. And again, if you don't have good porosity, it's same thing with drainage. You don't have good air levels in that soil. So drainage is number one. To me, number two is calcium level. And number three is just we want good overall plant growth in that soil. So you have to have drainage. You it really helps to have good calcium level. But beyond that, it's ample fertility of everything. Nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, sulfur, micronutrients, I mean everything. Not just you want to have lots of, but you want to have a balance of these nutrients. So if they get out of balance, that causes problems as well. So drainage, calcium, and then just all other nutrients and having good fertility. So then when you have those three things, now if you're raising great crops there, that means more root growth. That means more, hopefully, organic matter uh, buildup over time. You're raising your organic matter levels. If you need to, if they're low and you need to raise them, 
And when you do all that, then you have this great soil health that we're ultimately looking for. So I just say, when you think about, oh, I want to raise a great crop, I know there are a lot of treatments that could be done, and we often talk here on the show about herbicides, insecticides, fungicides, and, and, and all these things to work on the above ground issues that you've got. But it really starts with below ground. You've got to have good, healthy soil if you want the very best crops possible on your land. All right, we'll get back to the Ag PhD mailbag coming up right after this. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther Power in your tank. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com.
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and it's time now for the Ag PhD Mailbag. We'll dive back in. Uh, if you have questions, you can email us, radio at agphd.com, or give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. Brian, get this question. Uh, I'm an agronomist. I've got a farmer having trouble with alfalfa weevil larvae in his field, wondering how to get them under control. Here's the challenge. He says he's used a straight pyrethroid like a Mustang Max or Warrior in the past, and he always has to come back with Lorsban. So he was just used to now running Lorsban with a generic pyrethroid, and he's been getting good control. Now that we don't have Lorsban anymore, what's your suggestion? All right. Well, first of all, I haven't really had that happen with any farmer that I've ever worked with. For me, the pyrethroids have worked fine. But my assumption here is because a lot of people used to talk about lower rates of pyrethroids. Now, granted, I, I get that 20, 25 years ago when we were dealing with much higher pyrethroid prices. When it was 8 bucks for a full rate, I understand why people were trying to save 2 to $4. But in today's market, saving 2 to $4 doesn't make any sense if you're going to drop some control. Plus... Pyrethroids have come way down in price. The full rate's $2 now. It's $2. What are you going to save, 25 or $0.50 cents by cutting the rate? So make sure you keep the rate at the full rate of whatever product you're using, and you should be in pretty good shape. So if you really want to mix something with the pyrethroid, you certainly can, but everything other than those pyrethroids is what I would, what I would call expensive. So there are products like Steward, Lanate, dimethoate, besiege. I mean, you've, you've got lots of options, but they're just, they're, they cost so much more money. And quite frankly, in my opinion, the pyrethroid's the best anyway. It, it's, it, in my experience, it was way better than Lorsban all the time. So I, I don't know why your farmer was having, or this farmer is having a problem, but I, I would just say I'm, I'm, I'm a huge believer in those pyrethroids, but you got to run the full rate. All right. Thanks for the question. I got this one in from Trey, and uh, Trey said, I'm a crop consultant in southwest Iowa, and I'm kicking around the idea of starting some agronomy clinics in my area. Just wondering, what would your tips be? You guys do a lot of clinics. Uh, we have a service that we're using uh, that does some mapping of soil, water, and topography, putting multiple layers of data, integrating them into one to show how much each factor will influence productivity. Uh, need some edu- need to give some education to our growers in this area about that. What other things do you think we should be talking about? Well, I, I mean, there are so many things that you can talk about, but what you want to talk about You can see is, we've narrowed it down, Trey. We, right. we now have to talk about things for an hour every single day. But but I would just say you got to talk about what you're an expert at and what you can bring value to the farmer for. And besides that, I, I would just say if you're looking for a piece of advice, I would say it should not be a sales pitch. People get sick of hearing sales pitch. They just want some decent agronomic information from somebody who knows what's going on, somebody who can help them, and then it's worthwhile. It's got to provide good value to the farmer. Otherwise, why would the farmer want to spend any time at any workshop or clinic or anything else? So, oh, I, I guess there is one thing, too, that I, I get 
personally frustrated when I go to different, let's call them educational things, and they don't have any handout. There's no notes. I'm just looking at a screen and listening to somebody talk, and then I'm scrambling to try to write all this stuff down that I want or I have to take pictures or something. So if you ever come to anything that Ag PhD puts on, we will always give people a handout. And in some cases, like if you come to our workshops, it's a book. It's over 100, 150 page book at many of our workshops. So that way, when somebody walks out, they've got something that's of value besides just, oh, they heard us talk for a little while. All right. Thanks for the question. Thanks for uh, looking at ways to to reach out to farmers. That's that's a good thing. Farmers need more info on what's going on. Uh, I get this one from Rick. He said, uh, now that we're entering the season of, well, now that we're entering the season of mowing your lawn every couple uh, uh, or couple times every week, he's wondering about a question that we got probably a month ago. What about growth regulators to reduce lawn mowing? Is that possible? Or yep. even for your ditches so you don't have to mow them repeatedly through the summer? Sure. And you can do that. But here was our experience using these things probably 30 years ago and not much has changed. It was never even. So one of the things that I like about having a lawn mode is that everything is even. It looks nice and neat and clean. When we sprayed these growth regulator products, there'd be a few grass plants that would still grow a little faster and it would just look, it, it, would, it was just very uneven. So I didn't like that. And then the next thing is, as soon as we cut the grass, whenever it was, then we were right back to normal growth. So you can certainly try it, especially in a ditch. I mean, I mean, you you can try it. But I'm just saying I wouldn't have this great expectation that, oh, my lawn's going to look perfect for the next month with one mowing. And that's all I have to do. So as long as your expectations are realistic, then it's fine. All right, uh, let's head to the phone lines here. we got Jim with us right now from South Dakota. Jim, you're talking alfalfa and soil pH. Man, you're speaking our language right now. We're, we're seeding some alfalfa this week. Oh, wow. You guys playing alfalfa for the oh, day yeah. or what? Well, we finally got our oh, pH cool. in that right range. We can't have low pH. Well, that means we've got to lime what? and bring it up. Right, and I, I was at some well, all your classes, I think I learned a lot. And one of those books, I looked in the corn, I can't find it, and I looked in the beans, and maybe it's in Neal's, I didn't have time this weekend, and uh, it's got a pH chart. Remember alfalfa? It. If it got yeah. high over something, it was really killed the tonnage. Right, yeah, that'd be in our soils clinic. Uh, we, we would have talked about okay. that during soils. But yeah, with alfalfa, you want to get that pH as close to 7 as possible, or even above 7. So... Personally, oh, I, I like it, let's call it 6.8, because then I'm not excessive for my corn or soybeans when I go back to that in a few years. But, yeah, you, you, okay. you want to get that pH up there. Otherwise, your tonnage is not good. I mean, okay. if, if you're even below six, a 6.5, six, yeah, if you're at a 6.3, you're still losing tons even at that. That's what the data would show. Now, so I'd boost it okay. just a little bit. What I'm not I... saying you need much lime. Uh, it just... Send your soil test in, and if you want, you could get a sample of the lime that you're going to use. Send that into the lab also, and then just ask the lab, hey, how much lime do I need if I want to raise my soil pH from 6.3 to 6.5 or 6.3 to 6.8 or something like that? Don't go crazy, but yeah, I'd, I'd throw a little splash of lime out there. 
Darren, 6-8 is, is the best thing you said? 6-8 is the minimum that we like to see soil pH when raising alfalfa. So that's typically what we're shooting for because 6-8 is the highest pH we like to see when raising corn and soybeans. Okay, and then I've got a second question if you've yep. got time. Yep, go ahead. Possible. Um, I've got these yellow, these mustard thistle, I call them. They may not be. I should take your weed book and go out there and look at it, but I'm not that smart sometimes. They come up early. They're, they're like, you know, they're already coming, and uh, I've got light gravelly ground and uh and i don't know if they're mustard this so do they get what five six feet and then they get that big yellow head on them okay. and um okay you think round up or should i throw a little two four d when i i've got the rye to kill down too well w- so in front of what round, crop are we talking here corn or or the the two four d bean but i think corn i'm gonna go it's early enough okay perfect two different answers then in front of the corn uh, I do like the Roundup in there to take the rye out, no question about that. But I'd prefer dicamba if we're going ahead of corn because yep. that's safe and it's labeled. Yep. And then, of course, you could use a, a 2,4-D product that's labeled and safe ahead of 2,4-D-tolerant soybeans. Yeah, but that said, will Roundup, kill, will Roundup kill mustard and will it kill thistles? Yes, it will. So if you just ran with a high rate of Roundup, that should be enough. But there might be some weeds out there, too, that Roundup may not kill. So that would be, in my opinion, the only reason I would add dicamba in front of the corn or 2,4-D in front of the beans. So, But otherwise, if okay. it's mustard or and if it's thistles I'd only do and rye, I'd only do Roundup, but I'd do it at a high rate. Okay, and then I've got uh, some corners. I've got alfalfa on kind of rocky corners where my pivot doesn't hit. Um Ooh, that's going to be a little tricky, Jim. Uh, we're hitting, heading to break right now. We'll be right back after this. Are you worried about nitrogen loss this spring? Well, we asked retailers what they thought about Instinct NextGen Nitrogen Stabilizer from Corteva AgriScience. What they said was so inspiring, we got an actor to reenact it. <clears throat> it's a great return on investment. A great return. Investment, investment. Great return. All right, I think I'm ready to record. It's that simple. Instinct NextGen is a great return on investment because it protects your nitrogen. Learn more at protectnitrogen.com. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day 
At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more, and don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Here at Farm Shop MFG, we keep hearing from folks who've tried our germinators. Yeah, I'm Wayne Bossman. I was very impressed how they came up quicker and they're just better stand and really looking forward to using them this year. See what others are saying at farmshopmfg.com. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at soilwarrior.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio. Today on the show we have been talking about soil health, but we are now right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag. If you've got a question for us, you can give us a call 844-44-AG-PHD or send us an email radio at agphd.com. So right before the break, we were talking with Jim from South Dakota, and his last question uh, we found out during the break is basically, okay, alfalfa in the corners of fields and if i had that 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 same weed the problem is we don't know what the weed is he said said yellow tall yellow with flowers i'm not exactly sure he used the words mustard and he used the word thistle so let's just talk about that real quick how do we kill weeds post-emerge in alfalfa i just say this there's a reason why a lot of people have gone to roundup ready alfalfa because then at least you have Roundup as a herbicide option. If it is conventional alfalfa, then you have three choices. You've got Raptor, you have Buctril, and you have Buterac, and that's it. Now, granted, I mean, you could use Clethodim or something for a grass herbicide, but in terms of a broadleaf herbicide in alfalfa, that's all you've got. So how good is Raptor and how good is Buctril? And for that matter, a tiny little splash of butyrac in with the buctrel. Uh, how good are those on mustard species? Well, they're not bad. So I, I'm not super worried about it if it's mustard. But I am concerned if it's thistle. Because there's nothing that's going to take thistle out of alfalfa. So I just say this. If that's what you have for an issue, and if it's... Uh, obviously corners where you have a pivot that tells me number one it's probably light soil it's definitely not getting water so I'd be a little bit concerned there that how how healthy is that stand overall and if it's not thick enough to continue choking out weeds and you have weeds like thistles that we can't really control we can only suppress post-emerge in alfalfa Unfortunately, it may be time to take that stand out. So that's the that's the real challenge there when we start talking alfalfa 
and broadleaf weeds. All right, Darren, I think uh, Bradley had a question there. Oh, hang, hang on a second. Yeah, we get we got Brian, we got you Brian muted. muted me. Brian muted. I wasn't me that muted that. you, but anyway, go <laughs> Janelle ahead. Janelle muted me. Oh man. All right. Uh, well, lots of questions here from from Bradley, and he had. Um, it started with uh, I'm going out in the early spring with a pine of dicamba, so I can try and do it when it's cool. I'm going Stop. after mare's tail. Stop right there. Okay, so there there were two phrases that I did not like. With dicamba, he said, early season and cool. I'm going to tell you right now. Well, he said he's worried cool, about volatilization. Well, I, it, yeah. Okay, so it's one thing to worry about volatilization. But if your herbicide doesn't work, then what was the point in spraying anyway? So you can't spray when it's cool or the dicamba won't work. And I, I'm telling you this from firsthand experience where we wasted our money on probably 300 acres one year. In the spring, it was, I don't remember the exact temperature. Let's call it 50, 55 degrees. The nighttime temps were getting down in the 40s. And we went out with a pint of dicamba. And I, I kept, I looked at it a couple of times and I'm like, um, are we sure we actually sprayed the herbicide here? Because it didn't do a thing. Went back out and yes, we had sprayed the herbicide, but went back out later when the, the daytime temp was 70, nighttime was in the 50s, and one pint of dicamba wiped every broadleaf weed out in the entire field. So that's my first statement. Make sure it's not too cold. I'm not worried about volatilization much early in the spring with dicamba anyway. All right. Anyway, he said, I don't like to use dicamba later on, and I don't like to use gramoxone at all. So his yep. recipe is yep. a quart of prowl, a pound of glyphosate, and a pint of dicamba. Okay. And what I, got, I got two two other concerns now because you just said quart of prowl, that's, that's a below-labeled rate in, in almost every soil. And a quart of glyphosate, I, I don't know what you're trying to kill as long as it's an annual grass. Oh, yeah, that's plenty. But if we're talking about a perennial weed or something we're like about that, mare's it's tail, tough. water hemp, and grass. Yeah, but I don't know what kind of grass. So anyway, go ahead. All right. So if it's annual grass, you'll be able to kill it with yep, the glyphosate. For sure. That prowl perennial, is not all going you do to is last that long. And he's hoping that he's going to get some residual out of that prowl. But I, I would just tell you, Bradley, you got to run the, the full rate of prowl if you want it to really work. Yeah, or at least a decent rate. So yeah, at a court, I mean, it's still going to last for quite a while. It's just not going to kill all the weeds. So then his game plan was, I'm going to plant and then immediately follow the planter with four ounces of Metribuzin and four ounces of Authority XL. And I'm cutting back on any Roundup if I need Roundup at that point. I'm going to get some burn down out of the Authority XL. But here's... Why, why are we spraying twice? I don't understand. Go ahead. Well, that's a good question. Uh, the other the other comment that Bradley makes is Authority XL contains classic, so it's Authority and classic, and he says I I think I'm going to get some residual out of that classic that will help prevent grass until canopy. I've only known ca- classic as a broadleaf herbicide. I have not seen it suppress grass. Well, at the high ra- the ridiculously high rate there is an Authority XL. Yes, you'll get a little bit of grass suppression. Is it a good grass killer? No. No way it is absolutely not. So we don't like classic because if there's even one spot in your field that's high pH, your corn's dead the next year. So why take that chance? And the classic isn't really helping you on weeds anyway. 
So, I, I mean, unless they're non-ALS resistant, if you have a whole bunch of those, but what did he list? Mare's tail and what was the other? Water hemp. Right. Well, you're not going to kill either one of those. So why are we wasting the money on, on the classic? So I, I also don't understand why you're spraying twice. I, I mean, <laughs> every farmer that I've ever worked with in my life, when I suggest two shots, they always say, well, can I do it in one? Well, in this case, you absolutely can. Just do it in one shot. Just spray one shot, pre-plant, done. All right. Now, the other the other comment that he makes is, I, I am planning on using Warrant or Zidua with my early post-application. That's why Great. I, I'm not as worried about having a cut rate on the Prowl because Prowl is really expensive. What yes, do you think about I agree that, with that strategy? I agree with that 100% because we do some of that on our farm too. So I, I, I don't that that's fine. All right, thanks for the questions, Bradley. Got this one from Robert, and he said, you guys were talking about molybdenum and cobalt and nickel and some of these different micronutrients that are out there. Uh, our problem was we had heavily fertilized cotton, relied on carryover uh, for winter wheat and soybeans, and even on P&K we were running out, so it was kind of an old-school strategy. Hey, you're right, Robert. It was, it was just a comment from him, but uh, there's there's certainly a lot of farmers out there that we talk to that say, well, I'll have enough carryover fertilizer left for my previous crop, not looking at, well, hey, I'm not raising 120 bushel corn anymore. I'm raising 200 bushel corn. There's nothing left, so we got to definitely look at that every year on our farms. Okay, get this one from Todd. He said, I've got a couple of heavy-use pastures that I'm wintering cattle on every year, and I'm always trying to re-level those areas with a cultum mulcher. Uh, I'm wondering, what can I plant that can take the traffic and, I guess, compaction? Uh, also, as a cattle farmer, I have to spread manure every year. What can I do to combat that salt? Well, you can raise great crops. That's that's number one. Or raise great healthy grass. I would look at a complete soil test analysis to see what nutrients are out there. Oftentimes, if we have compaction issues, we may be running short in calcium. Now, obviously, there's traffic, and and you can create compaction on anything with lots and lots of traffic. But do look at that soil test. We just had a soil test earlier in our show today where the grower said, hey, my ground is hard, but his calcium was really low. When we get calcium built up uh, and get our nutrients in balance, we do have a, a, a lot more resiliency to the soil. And you have to make sure that you have good drainage. If you have good drainage, there's more air in the soil, less chance for compaction, and then that also allows you to flush those salts out sooner. But when, when you say concerns about salt, I just, I start to worry right away because if you are over applying manure on a regular basis, that, that is very, very concerning. You can't get rid of that salt instantaneously and now it's going to hurt your next crop potentially. Well, the more you hurt your crop, the less salt's going to get absorbed, the more, the less healthy your soil will be, the less those salts will flow away. So the problem starts to compound on each other. So be really careful what you're doing and always check your manure for salt amount and then be conscious on your decision on, hey, I'm going to put on X number of pounds, which means X number of pounds of salt. And can I get rid of that in a year? If I can't and my salt levels are starting to rise, I got to cut back on that manure or stop for a while. Yeah. And if you are seeding new pasture, there definitely is a tolerance difference, salt tolerance difference by different types of grasses. So make sure you ask your seed provider about which grasses could tolerate more traffic and could tolerate more salt. Thanks for the question. We appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening today. 
Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. 